Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Afreen Huck, an Associate Professor in Entrepreneurship and Innovation in the School of Management, RMIT University in Australia. Afreen's research explores how gender identity and socio-cultural factors influence women's entrepreneurial behaviour and approach to growth. She studies this phenomenon on women entrepreneurs in both developed countries as well as in the culturally restrictive societies. Afreen is an old colleague of mine. I've known her for quite some time and she is the real deal. She's a passionate educator of entrepreneurs, has been doing so for well over a decade now and I had an absolute delight in having a conversation with a friend which started with the intention of talking about education but moved quickly into the world that women face when they undertake the entrepreneurial endeavor. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Afreen Huck. So welcome, Afreen Huck. Thank you, Peter. Um, uh, it, we, we've, organi- we've tried to organise this a few times. <laughs> um, so thank yes, you for accommodating me. I really, really do appreciate it. Uh, I might, we might just start off by, by you telling us a little bit about yourself. Um, I, I've known you for quite a while uh, when I lectured, a sessional lecture here, and I think you came in at around the same time, late 2000s. 2000, 2000, yes. Yeah, yeah. Early 2000. Yeah. Right, no. Yeah. So, so, hey, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Thanks, Peter, and thanks for this opportunity. Uh, I know we've been talking about it for a while, so today it's actually happening. Uh, just to give you a background of where I started, um, I, I'm a skilled migrant mm-hmm. to Australia. I right. came here in uh, late 2006, and then 2007 uh, I joined RMIT. So um, in terms of my career journey, I was already in the higher education sector, teaching um, in the largest public university and teaching entrepreneurship there. Um, That was also because I had done my PhD in women's entrepreneurship. That was my uh, core research area at that time. So when I joined RMIT, it was a good timing, both for RMIT and myself, because I had just completed my PhD went back to Bangladesh, where I came from, to Australia. Um, And I was not only teaching entrepreneurship, but I was also very actively working with a lot of um, uh, international donors Mm -hmm. uh, in their their funded projects for enterprise promotion in Bangladesh. So I had a lot of practical experience uh, around entrepreneurship at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, And RMIT, at the time that I joined, um, had a dedicated three-year undergrad pr- program on entrepreneurship. So um, like how uh, RMIT College of Business now offers a Bachelor of Business degree that has a lot of options for majors and minors, ours were uh, quite unique because it was a standalone three-year undergrad degree in entrepreneurship. Um, so it was a very attractive proposition for me to join sure. the program. Mm. And I, in at that point in time, RMIT was also very keen on revitalizing the program as a whole. So they were recruiting quite aggressively. Um, so I, along with a couple of other colleagues that you would know mm-hmm. uh, very well, had joined at that time. And we were literally given the, um, the responsibility and also um, kind of the agency to design the program as we thought um, should look like at right. that point in time. Um, so that's how 
my journey um, of becoming an educator in entrepreneurship in Australia started. That's very yeah. interesting. And, you know, we, we just went through all these questions and now you've touched on something that I'm, I, I've been doing some work in around uh, entrepreneurship in developing economies in the South Pacific mm. and also uh, women in entrepreneurship. So I'd be interested in hearing a little bit more about what you saw um, in your studies. So when you did your 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 thesis, so was your PhD yeah, thesis, yeah? yeah? Mm. Um, so what, what was the kind of the, the top level uh, kind of findings that you found there? Were, were you focused on women in entrepreneurship in a developed economy or developing economies? What, what was the focus um, there? My study was funded with uh, uh, Commonwealth Scholarship. Mm-hmm. So one of the condition of the Commonwealth Scholarship is that the recipients will have their research topic um, based on the economic relevance for the country that they come from. Right. So it was it was kind of a mandate of the funding mm-hmm. to uh, have a research topic that would have real economic implications. Um, and so policy, for Bangladesh in this case. Policy implications. So because I was from Bangladesh mm-hmm. and I was very interested in studying women entrepreneurs because right. that was a that was just a really emerging phenomenon at that time. I'm talking about uh, early 90s to mid 90s, which mm-hmm. is when I did my research. And that was a time when there was a kind of a new awakening within entrepreneurship scholarship about uh, really recognizing gender mm-hmm. as a, a really influencing factor about how uh, an individual would undertake and approach entrepreneurship. And um, and the scholars at that time were all debating about the necessity of using the gender lens because mm-hmm. the standards of entrepreneurship um, the the frameworks within which entrepreneurship was understood were all predominantly masculine. Yep. Um, so um, and women entrepreneurship wasn't fitting into that. Right. So which is why there was a big, uh, big push, uh, a very keen interest within within the entrepreneurship scholarly community to study. And I kind of picked up on that because I was equally keen mm. as a novice researcher at that time um, to pick that up as a topic. So my, uh, obviously my target group was women entrepreneurs in Bangladesh, but where my study differed from how entrepreneurship was studied in Bangladesh at that time is I actually wanted to study the urban metropolitan based, more educated women who in theory would have better social and economic support to embark on entrepreneurship as opposed to uneducated Mm -hmm. uh, rural-based women who will struggle to have the skills and the support to do that. Um, So I was interested um, in looking at women who would have the capacity to choose any economic option really because of their background and and their location and their their, uh, level of education, Um, but what would actually trigger them to embark on entrepreneurship Mm -hmm. uh, in a developing country context, more so in a patriarchal society context. Okay, this so, is a, this is a really really interesting yeah. topic. I, I'm going to dig into this a little yeah. bit because I, I have this conversation with my partner uh, about the the gender differences, and one of the explanations that I use is this old story about the two fish swimming through the water, two young fish swimming through the water, mm. and they come. There was a, there's an old fish coming their way, and yeah. the old fish says, "G'day, fellas, how's the water today?" And the two look at each other and say, "What's water?" Right? Because <laughs> they're in the water, right? They're in yeah. the system, and I think for for males. Um, adult males, <laughs> particularly, um, we look at life through 
that water that we're engulfed in and we're completely oblivious to some of the challenges. So, and, and in fact, I would say some people would argue that they even they exist, which is maybe what was happening with some of your colleagues. Mm. So, so what is the difference? Is, and I'll lead with my chin a little bit here because, and please slap me down here. Um, I found that I guess the the chutzpah or the or the 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 um, you can call it courage, but maybe just you know the 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 strong ego that some entrepreneur, some male entrepreneurs have to go out and talk about the sizzle, right? Mm. Talk about what they're doing mm. and they're not afraid to get shut down. They just pick themselves up and keep going. Whereas, you know, the suggestion is that females, as a general statement, of course, I mean, people are different, um, don't have, don't like no, right? Mm. Is that right or is that wrong or is that, you know, kind of not even relevant? What What did you see? Uh, I, I, I would say that in the context of uh, patriarchal society in particular, mm-hmm. the, the gender construction of roles has a very important role in how, um, has a very important influence actually on how women perceive the feasibility, the acceptability of businesses, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is why their approach to to, to uh, undertaking entrepreneurship has to be different. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, you'll find that more women, if you ask women entrepreneurs, you'll find that more women entrepreneurs start business because they want to have a balance or a family balance, right? right. So they have want to have the flexibility to actually uh, combine gainful employment with family responsibilities, which is not necessarily the case for, for male entrepreneurs, right? Um, in terms of, if I understood your question correctly, in terms of how women entrepreneurs approach business, um, we do. There is difference about the way how they promote themselves as an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Um, m- increasingly, through my research, I'm finding that very successful women entrepreneurs who are even running fast growth businesses, even in the context of Australia, which is mm-hmm. not a patriarchal society. You will find that a lot of women. Some would argue with that. Yeah, yeah, some would. Yes, some some would. Um, Women entrepreneurs are more comfortable in projecting their femininity into their business practices Mm -hmm. and And their agency. I guess. Yeah, exactly. And that's a very that's a very interesting finding because you would think that to be successful as an entrepreneur, uh, because the standards have always been defined by masculine norms, um, women would like to emulate that right Mm -hmm. and there has been some women who have done that but um, the the way gender is now projected and evident in how businesses are run by women uh, it's pleasing to see evidence of more um, I guess the female aspect the female characteristics or the I guess the um, the feminine characteristics being projected about how you are presenting yourself as an entrepreneur and how you're selling your business uh, as a business that is owned and managed by a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's very interesting. Uh, and I think it's quite encouraging because um, there cannot be just one way of becoming successful, you know? Oh, I absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I, I'm, I, I tend to wonder uh, whether... It's got something to do with how we're brought up. So 
you know, little you know, little boys can go and get dirty and roll around and take risks and fall out of trees. This is an old old mm, stereotype, mm. of course. Um, and whereas you know, the girls can you sew and they can you know pick flowers and and it's a softly softly sort of world. Um, again, purely a stereotype and and certainly not the case these days as a general sort of statement. Is that part of it? How we're conditioning young women or how we're raising girls to be able to deal with the risks and the uncertainty associated with entrepreneurship? Yeah, I think to a large extent it's the norms and the values um, that surround you when you grow up, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, As a human being has a lot to do with how women internalise these values and then um, display them in their actions and their behavior Mm -hmm. Uh, and even in their cognition that's very very obvious so yes i think in terms of how the society um and globally how we are evolving um definitely has an influence and an impact on how women are approaching entrepreneurship Um, um, but there are some stereotypes that um I think still exists. Mm-hmm. It still exists uh, in developing countries and in a lot of patriarchal societies. I think women themselves are also very comfortable in the way how their role has been socially constructed. Mm-hmm. So a lot of women are not apologetic about uh, really prioritizing their role as a wife and a mother. Right. And then they craft the business uh, they design their growth aspirations around the business in tandem with who they are, right, primarily. Okay. Right. Um, so, so, so it's not to offend, the, the, you know, for example, the husband. I'll give you a, mm. a quick example. So my mum uh, was the entrepreneur in the family. Uh, so she, so dad, dad had a normal job. She started a uh, clothing manufacturing business mm. back in the 80s here. So two of them, in fact, and ended up hiring, I think, 30 or 40 staff and was quite successful. Dad had a big problem with it because suddenly the focus and the agency and the power was with mum who was earning all the money, or not all the money, but she was certainly earning 80% Mm. of the money. Mm. Um, And he was kind of sidelined. And, you know, know, I imagine that scenario for me. And if that was my partner, I'd be punching the sky going, this is awesome. How can I help? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Whereas dad took it very much as an affront to his role in the family. Mm. So this is the, the fish in the water, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that's that's very much very much the case and um, you know in terms of you talking about breaking those status quo, I think that's something that's happening. Women are increasingly finding entrepreneurship as a pathway for them to gain those agency and becoming more economically and financially active mm-hmm. uh, in the family and therefore having the um, I guess having the the agency and the empowerment to make decisions and influence decisions in the family mm-hmm. uh, and yes it is it is quite challenging uh, for uh, for men in 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 societies like that and and I wouldn't actually I shouldn't actually just make these comments in terms of patriarchal society just now you said you know you would debate whether Australia is a patriarchal society or not I think it's a common phenomenon worldwide mm. about um, someone who has kind of not really worked and been a mother and a primarily the homemaker mm-hmm. decides to then start an entrepreneurial initiative and once it's it leads to economic returns, mm-hmm. um, more, 
I guess, better sense of identity mm-hmm. um, and agency that comes with it. Mm. Um, it kind of throws the status quo of the family out of balance, right? Well, if the, if the research, as I understand it, is right, uh, generally uh, women want to marry up mm. uh, in terms of, you know, the ability to, to, to generate money and to, to protect the family. And I guess that would throw that... Yeah. That, I guess, hard wiring. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but what's interesting is that there is an increase, particularly in developing countries and emerging economies, f- when women actually start bringing money, there is a lot of resistance mm-hmm. and even active negativity towards um, allowing women to venture out and start mm. a business. It doesn't matter whether you are starting it from home, at home, or you're doing it outside. There is a lot of resistance because that the the fear of the unknown mm. you know in terms of oh you know what's going to happen uh, am i going to get fresh hot meal at the end of the day oh. if she's working outside you poor thing. You know? you'll have yeah. to cook yourself exactly <laughs> so th- i think i think that those mindsets will yep. always be there yep. but what's what's very visible now is that once uh, it, regardless of the societal context that we are talking about, once w- women start bringing money into the house, it is always spent for the well-being of the family. Mm-hmm. It goes into children's education, better nutritious food, uh, more longer-term savings and investments and so forth. Um, and soon enough, you'll see that there is a lot of buy-in. Mm. So these women, even though they start operating in a constrained environment, they start moving very fast from bounded agency to actually being really empowered. Right. Can, can I ask, and if you could kind of comment, I guess turn your head to our uh, society. Uh, so, so you've talked a lot about, uh, I guess, women entrepreneurs who are married, who are in a, a family-type mm. situation. They've got children, they've got a husband. Um, you know, in Australia, there are a lot of women who choose not to have children, who uh, go out and earn their own money as mm. lawyers, as doctors, as whatever, you know, yeah. um, and have agency simply because, you know, we've, I guess, we've, you know, enabled that or we've, you know, we've had, I guess, some foresight as a, as a community to, to start to, you know, bring that balance between the, t- the two genders. Uh, how does that apply do you think for female entrepreneurs in a country like Australia, Western society, developed economy, facing the society? So I guess probably not the opprobrium associated with society saying, oh, she's going to be an entrepreneur. She thinks mm. she's better than everyone else. Um, but rather the, the, I guess, the, I'll call it the games we play or the, the, way, we, the way we do business, particularly Blokes, you know, they'll go to the footy together, they will go to the bar together, they will, you know, they'll go to the Australia club or, you know, whatever it is. Uh, Can you you sort of make some comments around what that looks like for for the journey of a a female entrepreneur? Yeah, I mean, I can – I wouldn't know about the – I guess the the population in its entirety, but – in terms of my exposure to the women entrepreneurs through my research, um, I have followed um, women in th- that are in fast growth businesses, meaning that they have grown at least 30% above their, um, their contemporary enterprises or firms within the industry. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting you ask me that question 
Um, I did mention to you earlier that many of these women have consciously projected femininity into their business practices. Mm -hmm. um, so when it comes to men taking their clients to footy games or sports events and all that, these women do things that are feminine. So mm -hmm. they will they'll take their clients to um, what do you call it uh, for us to spa. Oh, okay. Right? Um, they will have a barbecue. Right. They will have um, just a nice lunch, you know, um, mm -hmm. an outing. So it's it's different about how they relate to their um, clients. Um, and they're not necessarily following what a male entrepreneur would do. Mm -hmm. um, and it's good to see that uh, it works as a business strategy. And they're, they're, they're clear, clearly very well thought out um, strategies that are different from their male counterparts, but um, that is contributing just as positively to their business growth and performance. Right. And are you mm. continuing this research or is that all done? Uh, I, I am continuing on this research, but I have also um, sort of taking, taken my learnings of what I've seen within women entrepreneurs in Australia in the context of fast growth businesses to the context of refugees and migrants now. Right. So I'm now studying women entrepreneurs who come from refugee and migrant backgrounds and how they are using entrepreneurship as a platform to reconstitute their identity in, the, in this host country. It's, um, a, it's amazing how this topic keeps popping up. Yeah. I've, I think this is the 11th or 12th podcast that I've that I've done, and I, I would say at least four of them this has come mm. up with, but particularly out of uh, Vanuatu because I was in Vanuatu oh. for a, a couple of trips. Um, and uh, this is, uh, you know, I made the, I guess, the observation, rightly or wrongly, that we tend in the West to look at, you know, the you know, the entrepreneurs are going to create a unicorn, billion-dollar mm. company, and mm. they're going to be on the ASX, and, you know, they're a, they're a tech giant or whatever it is. But the reality is that, you know, a fisherman in a village that um, decides to, to do something entrepreneurial by buying a second boat, lending some money, and then hiring someone – that's just as entrepreneurial, right? It is. But it's, and, and it may not even necessarily be about survival, but about the betterment of their situation. Mm. So, so I guess it's what your baseline start is. Yeah. yeah. And, and I would say the same thing would apply, you know, for, for you know, female entrepreneurs in developing economies and in a developed economy. Um, uh, so that's, that's, that's very interesting. That's, that's amazing that you're, that you're doing that work. I think that's probably more interesting yeah. than the, yeah, the educational yeah, yeah. side of things. But no, I'm, 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 really, I'm really loving it. And um, I mean, it's the thing that um, refugees and migrants in any host society struggle the most with is to find an identity. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting to see how entrepreneurship can actually offer a meaningful platform for their self-expression, for their inclusion, and to have that sense of identity. So it's a, yeah, I mean, it's 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 been an amazing journey through my research in in that area, and I'm kind of trying to extend that to also understand um, because these are in, in 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 entrepreneurship research jargons we would call these people as socially outsiders 
Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, one of the other community that I'm really interested to study how entrepreneurship can also make a difference in their mean choice of meaningful work and life is the LGBTQ community mm-hmm. uh, because there is a obviously there is an uptake of entrepreneurship uh, within this community as a as a pathway to find more meaningful satisfying work and also find a way of social inclusion um, so it's it's been a very interesting journey for me in Australia in terms mm. of how um, I'm kind of delving into new avenues of using the same framework of research as entrepreneurship as a platform to address the needs of different communities and and identify different ways of how they're using this as a platform. Sure. This podcast is brought to you by Christo Partners, strategic advisors to assist you in commercializing your innovations. If you have an opportunity you seek to bring to market and need help with either going to market connecting with universities to access technology or raising capital or any other matter, contact us on hello at christopartners.com. I I guess, you know, my insights over the journey and, you know, gender aside has been, you know, every time I did something unconventional, challenged the status quo, went not only from a cultural perspective, from a societal perspective and from a professional perspective, Mm. there were two things going on. Number one, I was I was celebrated for the achievements, totally vilified for the things that didn't work. Mm. And when things did work, they were the the old adage: um, success has many fathers and failure is an orphan. Right. So suddenly everybody was was involved in that, and everybody. So really, wasn't yeah. it wasn't me. Yeah. So it's funny how the that you know you have a corporation around you. And if you're being entrepreneurial, say you know you know entrepreneurship, so you know, mm. within an organisation, you're dealing with some forces outside the the organisation. Well, now you've got capital requirements and cash flow requirements. Yeah. The family or your partner who is challenged by the risk appetite that you've got, yeah, uh, and the I guess the trust that he or she has for you to be able to manage that mm. manage that risk. So, but but it's also interesting. I think it's very interesting that you talk about identity because, believe it or not, I was thinking about this last night. Um, the 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 ups and the downs and the challenges associated with an entrepreneurial journey force you to face your demons, force you to ask, who who am I? Like, why why am I doing this? Mm. Like, why am I putting myself through the meat grinder like this? Is it that I want to stand on top of the mountain, put my hands on my hips, and say, "See, I'm a legend," mm. or is it? There's something. There's a gravity to this where you're in, you you are curious by by your very nature. You are curious, and you see patterns, and you solve those patterns, and then you have enough commercial acumen, or you develop enough commercial acumen mm. one way or the other to be able to prosecute those yeah. opportunities, and and you know create a something for yourself rather than have a steady cash flow or steady paycheck or whatever it is. Mm. So maybe that's a good segue into how do you educate entrepreneurs. Because yeah, you've been doing question. it for a while now, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, good question. Good question. We always have a de- uh, like. There's a myth, right, that entrepreneurs are born, and uh-huh. then we have a debate about are they really born or can they be made? Yep. Um, so where the paradigm that I come from, or the paradigm that we use in our teaching, is that yes, um, these the skills, the aptitudes, the characteristics of entrepreneurs are not necessarily anything unique. Mm-hmm. Those are very much available in people who are successful generally 
yeah, a lot of these skills are very similar to how leaders operate. Um, and some of them, you may feel that you have, you, you, you comes naturally to you, which is something that is inherent. But that doesn't mean that you cannot consciously work towards developing some of those skills and capabilities. Um, and that's where entrepreneurship education comes from. It's it, it allows people to develop the confidence that certain skills and capabilities may be lacking in you, but that's not that's not it. You know, you yep. can you can develop them, and over time you will get better at it. Absolutely, I couldn't yeah. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I used to start my lectures with um, uh, a, something that I got from a lecturer that I'd had when I was going through my undergrad, um, and basically I would draw four circles. Uh, in, in a square, and I'd say, um, I'm just going to quickly give you a 10-minute uh, skill. I'm going to provide you a 10-minute skill or, or a framework mm. that will allow you to go out in the world and do whatever you want, whether it be a business, become an astronaut, become a musician, whatever you want. Um, uh, and I'd, and, and, but if you, but if you want to stick around for the next three years and learn a couple of things, you might get rid of some of the, the pain points that are really yeah. unnecessary, right? So I'll, so I'll tell this story. I'll tell one qu- other quick story. So the first one was, I would say, the first you know circle was willingness to act. Hmm. And I think I did this in your class. Yeah, 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 yeah. So willingness to act. Willingness to act will always give you an outcome. Even if you do nothing. If you do hmm. nothing, that's an outcome, right? Hmm. An outcome is going to give you information. Uh, and information is going to give you knowledge and wisdom. And knowledge and wisdom is going to give you confidence that takes you to another level yeah, of willingness exactly. to act. Yeah. Um, so, so. You know, and I'd say, you know, so if you want to go and learn the hard way, go for your life. Hmm. It, it, lots of people have done it. And if you want to do that, you should do it. Yeah. The other thing that um, I, I did was I'd get them to put their hands up and say, okay, for the first years. Um, some of them were mature age students, but the majority of them were first years. And I'd say, put your hand up if you're here to make money. And, you know, well, pretty well all the hands would go up. You'd wonder why, why somebody <laughs> said they don't want to make money. Okay, so does everyone understand money? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Well, does everyone understand? Um, uh, I guess compound interest, because if you put your money in the bank and you get five mm. percent, can you do a calculation for yeah. me? Because if you can do a calculation in terms of compound interest, when you can do a discount, you'll understand a discounted cash flow because it's a little bit, mm. you know, it's kind of the opposite of that, right? And so I'd pick. You know, the person's the most enthusiastic to get up. And I say, come up. I have a spreadsheet open. I put $100 there. Compound $100 for 10 years by 10 or 5% or whatever I put in. No one could ever do it. <laughs> <laughs> and I would say to them, say, you don't know how to use, you don't know the maths and you don't know how to use a spreadsheet. Well, there's one thing you better learn yeah. as a business person. <laughs> yeah, true. true. Um, Very true. Yeah, so so I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that it's really, really important. There are a bunch of skills Um uh, that you really, really need, uh, that you can learn mm. how to negotiate, how to use a spreadsheet, how to read balance sheet, you know, all that sort of stuff. So, so with your with your teaching, has that changed? Because we moved from the entrepreneurs, the bachelor of entrepreneurship, to a business entrepreneurship with a major in. Yes, what happened in RMIT is the bachelor of uh, bachelor of business entrepreneurship program has been uh, restructured. Or reframed into a major. Right. So instead of 24 courses that we used to have before on a three-year journey, students now do uh, eight courses uh, as a major. 
and then there are options for them to also pick multiple minors. So we have, for example, we have a major in entrepreneurship that basically focuses on startup. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also are going to have another major that will look at um, innovation and strategy that will be mostly around corporate venturing, entrepreneurship. Gotcha. We have another minor on open innovation, so students can just do courses that um, gets them a better understanding of open innovation and how they can apply it to their context. We also have another minor on social impact, which is something that's very um, considered to be very important. It's part of the RMIT strategy now. Um, all our research and our prog- programs are expected to contribute towards a couple of sustainable development goals. So having social impact in whatever it is that you do is very important in how RMIT sees itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do ha- also have a minor for students to look at social enterprises, um, enterprises beyond profit, really. Right. Yeah, yeah. So so they get the foundation skills, they accounting, get, marketing, mm-hmm. yada, 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 mm-hmm. uh, legal, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you start to... I guess get them to work within the the, the, yes. the ecosystem of yeah, entrepreneurship. Yeah. In the so first year, they do the foundation courses, mm-hmm. uh, which is supposed to give them a good head start mm-hmm. with the with the areas where they then seek to specialize on. Mm-hmm. So, and entrepreneurship is one of them. So, what yeah. so what's your experience been? Do you have many students come to you and say, "This isn't what I thought it was going to be. This is too hard work. I wanted to, I wanted to just create businesses and and you know play billiards and mm. <laughs> drink beer." <laughs> it's, yeah, it's interesting you 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 ask that question, Peter. Um, as as academics in, in 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 the entrepreneurship program, we all experience the same thing. We have we have a small cohort. It's not very big. Um, but the, the, our cohort has got some interesting characteristics. We have some students who make an informed decision about specializing in entrepreneurship because they actually um, envision starting a business mm-hmm. um, somewhere, um, some sometimes soon after they graduate. Right. So these are students who are really interested in um, bringing their idea into reality, and they're very keen on learning the tools and the capable and the frameworks and all that to do that. But then we also have students who come into our program because they're interested about entrepreneurship, but not necessarily keen to ever own a venture of their own. Right. And those are the students who struggle more than um, the ones who are interested to start motivation. their own business, yeah. Because these are the students who struggle with their motivation when we actually push them towards mm. uh, really working on a feasible business idea, uh, scaffolding it as much as possible to assess the viability of it, then really getting out there, you know, mm. developing a prototype, iterating it with research, uh, constantly seeking feedback. That's when they start to struggle because right. then they find it overwhelming because they don't really see them doing it mm-hmm. um, so wh- so what we do in order to keep them um, motivated is we try to then find relevance of these skills in the context of work right. we just say look you know you don't have to be an entrepreneur um, in order to uh, practice what you're learning uh, uh, you have to be an enterprising individual in whatever it is that you do. Right. Right? Yep. And in being enterprising, in, 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 in taking an initiative, in managing a project, in selling it to 
your seniors or who you know executives who will fund your project you will have to have a value proposition you have to come up with a business case you know um, so that's what we try to well, well it's it's about execution right with, yes. so everyone's yeah. enamored with the idea and yeah. the idea is important mm. absolutely right the idea is important but unless you can execute and to execute you need skills mm. and you need you know access to skills you need your own yeah. skills and you need to have a tenacious character mm. and if you, to be tenacious you need to give a shit about mm. what you're doing mm-hmm. so um, if you don't you know to you could be a lawyer and I disrespect to lawyers and not really care about the, the the case you're just going to go through a process and yeah you know you'll win it you'll lose it and away you go uh, you can even be a heart surgeon it's still you can mm. care about what mm. you're doing but at the end of the day there's a there's a mechanical sort of process or there's a systemized process yeah. to it um, you don't need to be tenacious you mm. just need to be good at what you do yeah yeah and just to have that confidence of being able to really transform an idea into reality is what uh, we emphasize on in our program and it's really pleasing to see that towards the end our students actually graduate being a lot more confident to mm-hmm. explore new ideas mm-hmm. and to take it to a point that it can be either monetized or it can be, it can lead to some social impact and we've had some excellent examples right. of students you know taking their ideas forward and making a difference you know whether it's a for profit or a not for profit uh, venture but actually making a difference do you, yeah. do they have any comeback or success stories that you've celebrated we do we have we have quite a few um, um, we we have quite a number of students who have done really well with for-profit commercial ventures but then increasingly we are having students going to um, sort of the enterprises beyond profit area right um, so we have st- we have a st- number of really good examples of students who have done that you know yeah um, like Jared I don't know whether you met him Jared Bifa who started yep. the uh, King Folk Cafe yep um, yeah, he was on my shoes. yeah he's one of our um, you know uh, really valued alumni in the program uh we have uh what's his name um lyndon galia who started um started a project which um the name doesn't come to me right now but he actually won a couple of awards because he was the one who started um uh, providing free lunches to students who couldn't afford it right Um, um and then yeah a few others that uh, have gone into environmentally sustainable businesses and so forth. So yeah, we have every every year we do have two to three really good um, examples of students who have taken it beyond the program mm. and you know has actually. So uh, so is there is there a way to connect some of these ventures now as they're bubbling up through the undergrad program? Is there a post post grad? Pro- we don't have a post grad program. Um, many of our students in RMIT we have an activator. Yep. Uh, and quite a few of our students uh, are actually connected with activators so they right. then become part of the activator startup community mm-hmm. uh, and we also have an entrepreneurship alumni yep um, so we um, we are in contact with a lot of our students not all of them but many of our students are still quite connected with us and we you invite them back as guest speakers sure. you know one of them is actually sitting in our school's industry advisory board at the oh, moment wow. yeah okay yeah. fantastic yeah. and do do you connect them with um, seed capital through i know uh, rmit is uh, is setting up or will set up 
It happens only when they are they become part of the um, the startup uh, activator community. Okay. They have two different programs. One of them is the the venture the launch hub program that mm-hmm. Activator has. Yep. actually has seed funding um, support uh, embedded into it. Mm-hmm. So uh, I I think after the end of the three month program, they then pitch to uh, investors mm-hmm. and they get about the fund. The, the funding I think is around twenty five thousand, which is not bad. Mm. Um, well, so that's that's yeah, that's there. Uh, as part of the program, we don't have uh, funding mm. services available because it's still predominantly a it's a, a, educa- academic, yeah, a, yeah, an yeah, academic yeah. program. Is the is the program available? Because you've got a campus in Vietnam as well and somewhere else. I'm we have we have RMIT Vietnam in Vietnam, so that's RMIT. It's not mm-hmm. a partner institution; yep. it's RMIT there. Uh, we partner with the Singapore Institute of Management in Singapore. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have also partnered with Suibi in Shanghai. Okay. Uh, so we have joint programs uh, running there. So it's a it's, so you and know. you teach the same program. In we don't have entrepreneurship everywhere though. Right. Uh, it's mostly uh, management and international okay. business mm-hmm. um, that is taught with, together with their programs and mm. student, you know, graduate with a dual endorsement from both RMIT and uh, the partner institution. But we have entrepreneurship courses in Vietnam. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. I actually lectured for RMIT in Hong Kong. Mm, yeah. Oh, but it was international mm, business. Yes, it wasn't yeah. uh, entrepreneurship yeah, per se. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the students there treated me a lot better than the students here. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Even I've had the pleasure of the experience of visiting. I think it was um, Hong Kong Institute of Management. Yes. Is where? yes yeah, yes, yeah. Yes. I went there. I've been there twice as well. Yeah. yeah they're yeah. really good. Yeah, fantastic. Uh-huh. So, so tell us, uh, so if somebody's listening and they're thinking about doing the undergrad program, uh, what, what would you like to tell them? Uh, well, as I said, if they are if they're curious, if they're interested to explore new ideas and then learn how to really convert it into reality, mm-hmm. then the RMIT Entrepreneurship Program is the place to be. Okay. There is a lot of there is a lot of support. Um, it's a very applied, hands-on um, program. Uh, we are ve- we are very well connected with the entrepreneurial ecosystem within Victoria. You know, startup week um, mm-hmm. and all that. So there's a lot of there's it's it's a relatively small cohort, um, which means that students re- get a lot of support and individual attention. Uh, and um, yeah, as I said, I mean, I think because it's so applied and also has got great industry presence into the curriculum, uh, it not only gives an opportunity for students to learn about, you know, the foundations and the tools and the frameworks, um, but it gives them great opportunity for networking. Mm. Um, so they actually graduate with not just a certificate, but, you know, of really valued social Skills. capital, so to speak. Well, yeah. I, I remember when I did my, yeah. my, uh, my master's in uh, entrepreneurship and innovation, I didn't really care about the certificate because who cares? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm an entrepreneur. Yeah, Look, yeah. It's really clipping the skills mm. on your tool belt and going off and doing it. Look, before we finish up, let me ask you a question that just occurred to me. So do you have or would you have or do you think there would be value in having a unit sp- specifically for women, female entrepreneurs, 
to to I guess to to walk them through some sort of education so they can understand the the world that they're operating in and and give them some skills that'll help them that may not be relevant. I mean, they may be relevant for males as well because we need to understand you know what's going on hmm. right to support our our colleagues and yeah. and get the best people for the job right hmm. it's 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 interesting you ask me that question peter um what i experience in the classroom when i speak to the students um about the difference if any between male and female entrepreneurs uh, and the findings when i discuss with them about you know how research shows that women have a different context for mm. start, uh, going into entrepreneurship and then even in their journey they make decisions that are different their strategies of entrepreneurship is different uh, for example their recruitment style will be different their um, their relationship m- management with p- with their clients will be different the whole class just goes quiet uh. Right? Nobody expects to hear any difference between how male and female entrepreneurs in Australia operates. Or, of, or globally for that matter, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, every time I talk to the students about it and share the findings, um, it's the same reaction. So right? it's like a gob- gobsmacked silence. Gobsmacked. And um, even women... Uh, students, female students, come come up to me and say, "You know, friend, that's very interesting. We never really thought about. We it. never really thought about it that way, right? So it would fish in be, the water. Yeah, fish exactly. In the water. Yeah. So it would be good to, I think, n- n- not necessarily have a course per se, but just to have that theme, mm. uh, gender mm-hmm. as a theme, as a cross-cutting theme." within our courses so that you can have a reasonable discussion around um, the topic mm. and then you contextualize it. Yeah, so what I, does it mean for, you know? Well, the tried. You know, I think you've yeah. got to be, I was in the military and there was, we've well, got to be situationally aware. So situational awareness is really, really important when you're mm. going into the unknown because yeah. um, you're going to be dealing with a bunch of risks. Doesn't Just as human beings, if we don't understand the situation as it, relates to our specific mm. point on the battlefield yeah, yeah. Um, and so you know you're you're putting yourself at unnecessary risks so you're gonna as an entrepreneur you're going to navigate your way through a series of hurdles and obstacles and and things you're gonna have to go around under through mm. whatever it is yeah. um, and knowing what the best things that you can bring mm. to the equation to, to think that through mm. And it's not physical, right? You've yeah. got to think through yeah. some problems. So there's definitely merit in bringing more female entrepreneurial role models in the classrooms. That makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I guess, just sharing, keeping the students informed about what's the actual reality out there. Mm-hmm. I remember um, I interviewed this uh, one of my informants from uh, Fast Growth Business. And you know, one thing that she said, I said, what's your, you know, what's the most fun part about, uh, you know, being an entrepreneur? And she said, you know, I've really enjoyed um, watching my um, male counterparts underestimate me. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah, that's what she nice. said. So, you know, I think it's, 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 it's always good to, to present that context um, so that the the women students, the female students in any entrepreneurship program for that matter, 
um, is actually aware of what the actual reality is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's funding is still a, is a much bigger challenge for women entrepreneurs everywhere. Mm-hmm. Australia is no exception to that, right? Mm-hmm. How many of the female students in our program would actually have any awareness of that? Mm. Right. Mm. So it's just to to prepare them better for the world of business out there. I think it's really good to have uh, gender as a cross cutting theme in whatever whatever it is that you teach. Okay. Well, I think that's a really excellent place to spot. There was a bunch of other things I wanted to ask you, but I'm conscious of our time as well. <laughs> yeah. I have to get you back on. Thank you so much it's for today. It's an absolute pleasure now, talking if, to you, Peter. It, uh, and, and, and you, uh, if they, anybody wants to get in touch uh, or reach out or get some more information, where would you like them to go? Uh, regarding our program? Yep. Uh, well, obviously, we have um, Year 12 students coming into our programs through VTAC and Open Day. So Open Day is a very good um, uh, event for people to come to RMIT and learn about our programs. Uh, and we also have, you know, like designated teams um, such as Info Corners or, you know, Business Central where students can send their queries to mm-hmm. um, and then and then take it from there. Right. But, yeah, open days are yep. just a place to Best be. You know, yeah. And I presume that's just accessible through yeah. the, through the yeah. website. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you again. Thank you. Peter. And, uh, and uh, until we do it again. Yes. Thank you very much. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Efrain Hark. Until next time, stay well and stay curious.